Welcome to Fast Lane with Sarah Jane, a podcast for women who are on the move, managing life and family. Your host, Sarah Jane, is building a tribe and talking about the things that affect the daily lives of moms. You can expect real conversations about managing chaos, finding ways to take care of mind and body, and stepping outside your comfort zone on the way to living your best life. Hold on for a wild ride. Now, let's get started. All right, today I'm speaking with Brian Heinz. And actually, Brian and I have never met. I have just been following him on Twitter for a really long time. And I started to follow him because he's a huge Vikings fan, as am I. And I really enjoyed reading everything that he wrote because he's pretty positive and he's very knowledgeable about the Vikings. Little did I know, he also had a recovery journey to share. And so I started digging into that and I thought he had a lot of interesting things to share with people. So first of all, Brian, thank you for joining me today. Oh, I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Yes. And I want you to tell me a little bit about yourself. Let's hear your background. Okay. Well, I'm born and raised in St. Paul, Minnesota, and I lived on the east side of St. Paul until about fourth grade. Then I moved to Maplewood and I went to Maplewood Middle School, followed by North High School. And then my partying kind of started after high school. So it sort of got really crazy about 19, 20 years old. I didn't drink at all in high school or anything. Really? I really didn't go to parties. I was very shy and very, I don't know. I had like three friends <laughs> that I hung out with all the time. Yeah. And like all we did was play video games and, you know, whatever kids do. But yeah, 1920, it really intensified the, it was one of those things where once I got the taste for it, for like partying and girls and, you know, everyone going kind of crazy, I I couldn't stop. I couldn't get enough of it. So, so did you have the same friends then or did you switch your group of friends at that time? Um, actually, I had a group of friends that I started like partying and stuff with, but then I kind of my ego kind of got a little bigger. So I was like, I can hang out with cooler people, you know? So, oh. uh, yeah. <laughs> um, to talk about it now is funny because I just think of myself at that age and it's like, okay. But yeah, so I just started hanging out with a lot more people and I kind of separated myself from that group, which since then I've been able to reconnect with a lot of those people that I kind of bailed on and kind of you know, rehash our friendships. And I talk to them, you know, a lot more now, the the friends, my initial friends. Good. So we, we have rebuilt those relationships. And it's funny because the people I left them for, I don't really talk to them at all. So you can kind of tell which, you know, who's your, your real friends are definitely. So. Are they still partying, the people that you left? Not as crazy. There are, there are some of them that are, but a lot of them have families and kind of just, they have grown up and stuff. So, okay. So my question is, since I have three boys, were you pretty close with your mom, like when you grew up? Oh yeah. So my parents got divorced when I was seven. So my mom had full custody of my sister and I. So it was always my mom. She she's the reason I'm a huge Vikings fan. Like she's a huge Vikings fan. We sure. share that. She had like she worked three jobs when we were kids, and, like to support us and to never have, we never had to worry about anything. Like she 
she's very, and she's still the same way now. She's just always been so loving and caring and supportive. And what I really respected about her was she never like talked bad about my dad or down about him, even though they were divorced. Like she never made him out to be a villain, which is important. I feel like it's important because in that sort of thing, they can start to resent the parent that's talking bad about them. It's kind of one of those, like, you'll figure it out. You know, you'll eventually figure it out yourself. Like you'll figure out what kind of person they are as you get older. There's no point to be a bully about it, but yeah, I, I say this a lot. I mean, she's, you know, wonder woman to me, like she'll always be, you know, like a superhero to me. Like I, I can't even fathom all that she, she did for us. So yeah, I really, and we've ever since I got sober, we've gotten even closer. So we really share like a lot. We're a lot closer now. So it really means, means a lot to me now to have that relationship with her. And she always tells me she's so happy. She doesn't have to worry about me anymore and weekends and, you know, and I just be doing a lot of dumb stuff. So that that's, that's amazing to, you know, be at that, be in that place with her for sure. Did she try, like when you were in, in the party days, did she try to get you out of that? Or did she just think like, I just got to let him do his thing? Well, she would always say just things like, you know, a typical mom or a typical parent, just like slow down, take it easy. I mean, she knew like at that age, I mean, that's kind of what everyone's doing. You know, everyone's kind of experimenting with the partying and the whatever, the reckless behavior. Um, but she never really, she brought up my dad a lot, I think, to in a way to say, that's what your dad did. And like, look where it got him, that kind of stuff. So she never really was really adamant about it, but she would, you know, like whisper to me, you know, like, Hey, you should really, cause I would do, you know, dumb stuff and call her when I'm drunk and think that I didn't sound like I was drunk, you know, just, <laughs> she's like, Brian, I can, she's like, Brian, I can tell when you're just wasted. I'm like, oh, okay, well, but I, on, on that same point, I feel like when you want to quit something like that. Like it's never, never about what other people say. I mean, if I didn't want to do it, it wasn't going to happen. Like my mom could have begged and pleaded with me, but it wouldn't have changed. Like I didn't, as long as I didn't see anything wrong with it. Like I didn't, I felt like I'm a 20 year old kid, whatever. So until I hit 27, when I got sober, it was me saying like, okay, I'm done. And then I was done. So then when were you raised around people who did a lot of drinking or no? No. My mom, I think she shared a beer maybe around us. You know, it was never like a party. And my dad, he didn't really, he went through a lot of phases when I was young with not drinking. And then he kind of intensified it as, as I got older. Yeah, he never really, like he went into like a hospital for treatment and stuff and like had a coin for it. I don't know. I never really remember him drinking a lot when I was young. It just kind of snowballed like towards the end of his life. So I don't really have a, it's weird because I think of him like that, but then I go back and it was like, never that it was more him just not being present. Like it wasn't so much the alcohol or the drug use. It was more like, why why can't you put us first over 
like going out or, you know, doing all this stuff. So. Right. And how old were you when he passed away? Uh, I it was, it'll be 14 years ago in September. I was 21. So it wow. was, it was, um, I had moved to California on my birthday, my 21st birthday in April. And then I moved back in August cause I had a roommate out there and he kind of flaked out and like, and you're not going to live in California by yourself when you're 21. I know that much. <laughs> um, so I came home in August and he had a heart attack and they said he, the doctor said he wouldn't survive. And then he did. And he got up, got out of bed and left the hospital, went back to work for a month and then had another heart attack and he didn't make it. So September 3rd, 2006 was when he, he passed away. You know? So when he passed away, that wasn't the turning point for you, huh? I was more an excuse to keep, keep going, keep drinking. It was more, well, now I can get a little crazier and I can just put grief as the, you know, the reason. And yeah, I mean, I really hit it like six more years after he died. I was like crazy. So I never grieved though the funeral or anything. I never cried at all. And, I I know I was like holding a lot of it in. I was really bad with that, you know, holding stuff in and not talking about it. And um, I was actually at my friend's one night, you know, we were all drinking and I had just wandered into like, I was on his computer. So I just like wandered in and was listening to music on, on his computer. And all of a sudden I just broke down. Like I just started, you know, they say it kind of hits you randomly when you hold stuff in like that yeah. but I just had like a breakdown and that was kind of the first time I had like left. I think I played a song that reminded me of him or something and mixed that with alcohol and it was like uh, like I just <laughs> I couldn't do it but it was so it was so healthy to to finally finally do that I feel like a lot of people you know like put their feelings in a bottle and don't you know deal with them or feel them. And that's the biggest thing. One of the biggest things in sobriety is giving myself the, the ability to feel things like even when they're bad, you know, like emotions, like sad, like it's great to be upset and be sad and like show emotion. Like people always think it's kind of a weakness to show emotion. And I, I feel like it's the opposite. Sure. That, I think that's interesting because so I mean, this is going down a different path, but my dad has passed away. So I'm wondering, do you ever think, because I'm, I like to live with no regrets. So I do not think this way, but do you ever think like there was something that you could have said or done, or you wish that you would have said or done before he would have passed away? Well, you know, I, I think about that a lot because I've had conversations like what if what if I would have stopped and been like, Dad, let's do this together? You know, like let's get sober together. Let's right. go to AA meetings together. Let's, you know, change our life together. But then, like you said, the no regrets part of it. And I that's a big thing for me because I think like losing him eventually was like the lesson that, cause he didn't teach. I mean, I, 
it's weird to say this, but he is great of a man. Like he was a great guy and he was, you know, friends with everybody. But when it came to being a dad, he wasn't, he didn't really get it. Um, so as far as teaching me things, like I couldn't even tell you one thing that he ever taught me in my life, <laughs> but wow. I think his death was that lesson. Like the one thing that he left me with was this is exactly, um, what not to do. Sure. And actually when he, like the last couple of weeks he was alive, he actually mentioned that to me about not turning out like him. So, cause I remember, you, you know, when you talk to someone a lot and like you look in their eyes a lot and you can see when they're like happy, scared, whatever, you know, you can just see it in their eyes. Yeah. So he was always like, you could always see like joy in his eyes. He was always like alive basically. And that last couple of weeks, like he knew that his time was up. Like he could almost see through him. Like he was so scared, like scared because he knew that he had like burned the candle at both ends and he wasn't, you know, it was too late. So just for him to say that and have those conversations that last couple of weeks, it really like allowed me to accept it because we kind of didn't leave anything unsaid or, you know what I mean? So, but yeah, like I said, it took six years to, to shake, to shake out of it and be like, this is it. But I can't put it, you know, I'm not going to put a time on it. I mean, that's how, that's kind of life, but how life goes itself. So. That's interesting. Now back on track. I was reading your blog because it took you a while to start a blog. Yeah. Like 600 and some days. Yeah. Okay. Mm -hmm. So what day did you decide I'm not drinking any longer? It was October 25th is my sobriety date of 2012. Wow. Well, that's my grandma's birthday. So. Oh, yes. There's there's always a connection and everything, right? (laughs) Um, So yeah, the blog actually was, I didn't start because I'd never, I didn't really think I needed it. And then it came to a point where I was going really stir crazy kind of. Like I had so much in my head trying to figure out how I was going to live like without how to, cause it's not just quitting drinking. I tell people that was the easy part of it. So like the, well, the lifestyle changes is the trickiest part. But yeah, I just needed an outlet. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself that if I can publish this and get it out there, then I can speak, you know, get my, my feelings out there and, how many people have reached out to me now. It's, it's pretty crazy how you just, you know, type words and hit publish and it goes all over the world and people can, people can read it. And there's people that have sent me messages that like I'll never meet. And it's like, they just said that they connected and resonated with the words that I, and that makes it all worth it. I tell people, I'm like, if I reach one person or a thousand, like it makes it worth it. Absolutely. And that is like my goal to help people live better, do better, just be better in general. And that's why you stood out to me. So it took you about 600 and some days to start your blog. And so when I was reading through the blog, at first you were pretty just like motivational, just like one step at a time. And, you know, I mean, pretty basic. They weren't very long. Yeah. Yeah. And then 
One thing I do like that you said, though, I wrote down a few things that I wanted to mention because I never thought about it this way. So I find this very interesting. How it's a double standard, how when people will ask you, well, when did you stop drinking and why did you stop drinking and all that kind of stuff? But you don't ask people like, well, how long do you plan on drinking? Why do you drink? You know, you don't think about that kind of stuff. Did you start getting a little sarcastic? And when people would say that, would you kind of get sassy and and say that to them? Oh, I mean, (laughs) you know, I feel like it's more towards the people that they're very, I mean, I wouldn't even call them uneducated, but they just haven't been, they haven't experienced, you know, people in their life or it hasn't been a problem for them. But I like to get a little snarky. I mean, I'm pretty chill and relaxed, like (laughs) 99.9% of the time, but I definitely shot back with a couple, like, why do you drink? You don't drink, why? I'm like, you drink, why? You know, people are like, like, they don't, I mean, I guess it's not their fault, but because they're, you know, unaware of what's going on, but it's interesting. Like society in general is just, it's really funny about it. I think there is that idea of my friends and I talk about it a lot. When you see commercials for like beer or like hard liquor, and it's always like the best parties and the prettiest people. And we were always laughing like they should have videoed us in the morning after our parties. And <laughs> like this is this is what it actually. I mean, but that's how they. It's such a dominant force in you know America. Like the the ads of it is all. I mean, that's where all the money is, and people. I don't know. They turned it into a, a celebratory thing. Right. You know, it's glor- it's glorified like nothing you'll ever see. It's like oh, the work week's over. Let's get wasted. Right. You know, but you don't see it the other way where there's actually other stuff you can do. So that's true. The, the double standard will always, always exist. And I always tell people I'm not at all anti-alcohol. Like I have friends that drink and I go out to the bar still and can have like a, you know, soda, whatever. And I've never been anti-alcohol. That's not it. I'm just, I'm better without it. Like if you can go out and have a beer, like, amen, like I would need a hundred. So that was one of the one or a thousand people. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That was one of my questions. If you could be around it or if it's like an absolute no go for you. Oh yeah. The first, um, I remember my first Vikings game after I got sober, the tailgate and stuff. That was like my first test and it was fine. I mean, I was good. My friends are very supportive. Good. So it's funny. A couple times at tailgates, I'll, you know, be holding a beer for someone. Like, they'll be like, I'll be right back. And then, like, everyone will be like, what do you do? You know, they'll, like, run over. I'm like, it's fine. <laughs> or if I ask or if I ask them for a beer for, say, a friend I bring with, whatever, and they'll be like, who's it for? So they, they're very, very protective and very, they're very nice. Yeah. So how long did it take to go to a Vikings game before? Well, I was there right away. Oh. Yeah, it was ah. the November. So I got sober in October and. The next month. Well, that is a lot of strength then because that, I mean, I've been to Vikings games and there's, yeah, people like to I mean, do that there. 99% of people are drinking. Yeah. And then I went, actually, my friend, my two friends got married and we did a joint bachelor bachelor party in Vegas. So that was another test for my sobriety. And I made it was great. And I had that was a great really time. Long? Well, that was, I don't even know how many years ago it was now. Maybe 2016. I don't remember. I'll have to, 
it was definitely probably in the middle of it, but it was still my first time, maybe 2015. It was 2014, 2015, I think. But it was, I remember initially, I was kind of like, this will be interesting to see how, like, the only time I'd ever been to Vegas before was like, I don't even remember being there. <laughs> so, but yeah, it was, I got my own room at Caesar's Palace and I just did the, you know, did the casino thing. We went out to eat, hung out, did whatever. And I never once was like, oh, I can't do this. So yeah, it was, it was a good test. I mean, I've been to weddings and Vegas Vikings games, all that, you know, all the places you would go to, to test yourself and it's all been great. You didn't have any friends that tried to get you to continue drinking. Cause it seems like sometimes like not comparable, but this is what I'm going to compare it to. Like when you go on a diet and your friends don't want you to be on a diet or you say, I'm going to quit drinking pop. And now your friends are putting candy bars and pop on your desk and stuff like that. No one, no one was being like that. Uh, at first there were some that didn't take me seriously because I had done like 30 days before 60 days sober. That was more because I was just, my body like told me to, Hey, you're not going to be, you know, just got a little crazy. Um, so they were like, how long are you going to stay sober this time? But they had, they had a right to say that. Cause I had never, then, you know, three months went by four months, five months. They're like, geez, dude, you're really I'm like, yeah, I've, I've never felt, you know, initially it was tough because like all that detoxing of, you know, that was rough. The first few months, first few months, you know, I'm like, I don't even want to shave or get a haircut. Like I feel like absolute death, um, <laughs> but no, yeah, they, they've all been really, really supportive. And um, I'm really thankful for that because you kind of got to lean on people when you're so vulnerable like that. So to have them, just to have them to lean on and be positive for me when I'm not being positive, that that really helps. So do you have anyone, like, did you go to AA or did you do anything where you have someone that checks on you or you call or anything like that? I actually was in Iowa for work. I had taken a job to open a store in Iowa and I just Googled, after that Vikings game, I Googled like AA meetings in Iowa and I went to this place called the white house. And, uh, it was just a giant, it was a giant white house, which was kind of funny. They called it the white house <laughs> and it was on Pennsylvania Avenue, which was also funny, <laughs> but no, I walked in, never have all that I knew about AA was that drunks went there. I had always talked myself out of like ever having to be in the position to go to one of those things. So I walked in, sat down and uh, sat next to a lady and she, I don't even remember her name. I probably should, but I don't, maybe I just blocked it out. I don't know, but she was very nice. And then they went around and gave, like give introductions. And um, I just remember saying, I'm Brian, I'm an alcoholic and I'm here because I don't want to end up like my dad. And I just like broke down crying. And I was like, that's what I knew was the right place that I was supposed to be there, you know? Sure. But I only went for a couple of months. I just kind of did my own thing and really came to myself. I, I feel like it was more of an inner thing than like going to AA. I, you know, it works for some people and not for others. So right. I feel like the most important thing is whatever works for us, we can, we just got to keep doing what works. So by 2013, I started to go to church 
the girl I was dating at the time invited me to church and um, I'm still going to the same church now, like seven years later. So that, that was another moment that I was in the right place at the right time. And that church really opened my eyes and has been a lifesaver. And I, 2017, I also got baptized and like, you know, reignited my faith and everything. All that is very, has been a lifesaver for me, the whole church dynamic. Cause that between that and my writing the blog, like that's really been my, my AA, as you would say, my, the healthy, like parts of my sobriety, the two healthiest parts have been those two things have been uh, wonderful for my, my mental health. So, so did you, besides those two things, did you have any books that you felt that were critical to helping you or not so much? Cause this is, I think this is probably pretty rare to hear. Like I decided to quit cold Turkey and I can still hang out with my friends at Vikings games and I can still go to Vegas and I can still be with my friends who drink and yeah, here I am um, going to church and not drinking. Yeah. Discipline is, is interesting. It's sort of anything we do in life. Like you mentioned dieting before. And I think if we take a step back and look at it, discipline is in everything. Like you think about like dieting, it's like, if your discipline, you know, leaves you for a day or two, and then all of a sudden you're falling behind, like working out, you see results and you're like, oh, I can't do it anymore. And then you fall back drinking discipline. I've been sober long enough. I'll just have one. And then you're falling back. So that was the biggest challenge for me was because I had never been good with discipline. So it was very, it was one of those things that I knew how invested I was because for someone who wasn't ever good at anything discipline like when things got difficult for me before I got sober it was always like look for the easy way out run away find something easier find something different start over something new until it got difficult and leave that and start over again when it was easy so I don't know I tell people that I'm very fortunate for my how it worked for me because I have met people that like still struggle and still wonder and all that stuff. I like the quote that says you're not always going to have, I mean, obviously it doesn't go like this because I'm not saying it well, but you're not always going to have motivation. So you always need discipline. Yeah. That, cause there's going to be days where I just lay and I'm like, uh, but as long as you follow that one, the sobriety part of it, it's still, it's still a victory. That's awesome. In your August 30th, 2014 post. I mean, I'm sure you just remember what that is right off yeah. the top of your head. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So that one was titled, What is Love? And you talk in there about how everything happens for a reason. Do you, are you standing firm in that still today that everything along this journey has happened for a reason? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's funny because in the moment it's so, it can be so frustrating when things don't, happen or things don't go how you envision them to go but you get like a, a few months or a year down the road and everything makes sense to why it had to end or why it didn't work out because it led you towards something more something better mm-hmm. so i i mean there are people i talk to that use the word coincidence a lot like oh it's a coincidence it's a coincidence and it's like so much has to happen right 
you know, for things to happen. Like it cannot be coincidence. I'm sorry. (laughs) There's some things that can't be explained other than like, this is, we're all where we're supposed to be doing what we're supposed to do. And that, I mean, I don't think there's any denying it. Maybe the people that do are just in denial. Maybe that's the whole point. I don't know, but yeah, I'll always be a firm believer in, you know, everything happens as it, as it should. I, I mean, I guess I'm going to test that because I, all of this that has happened has been pretty remarkable. And, you know, stemming back to my, my dad dying, it's like, there's a reason like that. And then the recovery and then the, like, I just feel like it all, it all strings together. Because in that post, you talk about how basically you broke your own heart in that post. Like, oh yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, it's hard. It is. Like re- it relationships, especially like my first sober relationship. Like I, I basically was the king of self-sabotage, like being new out of recovery. And that initial relationship that, um, it was basically too good to be true from in my, you know, my brain convinced myself that of that. Um, cause she, she was wonderful and she, I mean, it all just fit together so well that it, it kind of got to the point where I was like, this can't, I don't know. I, maybe I wasn't like healed enough or didn't have enough confidence yet that, you know, I was worthy of that. I mean, I, it took me a while to take accountability for my actions and like how things ended. Like it was more like, I didn't care. Like as I, you know, grew up a little bit afterwards, it's, it's definitely a learning experience. And I, I would say maybe I got into it too soon after I got sober. Like they, there's a rule, you know, they say your first year of sobriety, you shouldn't like be in a relationship. It's kind of like the AA kind of, they like to yell at you about that. Like don't get in a relationship because you need to. And I think maybe that had something to do with it, but everything about that relationship and her from her family to her and everything was great. And I think when we say everything happens for a reason, it's more that it happened, you know, as a, a lesson it just sucks because you when you hurt people like you don't want it to be to just play it off as a lesson like that it's not fair to them i don't think but right. i don't know it's hard to put into words but i just feel that like we all go through those moments in our life where we wish we would have handled things better and um there's one quote that i really love and it's the best apology is a changed behavior so instead of just spouting words that say, I'm sorry, just by growing up and, you know, growing up and being better every day, that that's as best of an apology just you know, to those people in my past that I can, that I can do for them. Another quote that I really like that you said is pray the hardest when it's the hardest to pray, because some days you said you felt like it was you against the world. Do you ever feel now that it's you against the world or do you feel like you got it? Yeah, I I feel, I felt empty a lot in the beginning because I basically had hit the reset button on my entire life. Like everything I knew, how to be social, how to be a friend, how to 
be a boyfriend. Like everything revolved around like drinking, you know. So I, I had no idea how to how to be social, like without a couple beers or how to. So yeah, I, I did feel like it was me against the world. Like how am I gonna like step back out in the world and not have any idea how to how to function? Basically, like I didn't need alcohol to function, but like all those important parts of my life, like that was just who I was. But and now with being so ingrained, like engulfed basically in my faith, it really, I really never feel alone anymore because I always like have someone to talk to and prayer has been such a big, a big thing for me because they actually talked about it at my church uh, Sunday about wasting your life and not um, getting the most out of it and making sure that when you feel like you've, like hit a plateau that you start to add more to your prayers and ask for more and demand more. And that's kind of how I've been throughout and um, kind of challenging myself through prayer. Like, you know, I don't, I need this. I want that like more. I mean, it's not in a selfish way, but it's um, adding more to my plate just, you know, to maximize and even unlock still as, you know, as you grow up, and as you grow as a person, you unlock so many new like talents about yourself that you're not that some people are never even aware of because they kind of hit that plateau and never, mm-hmm. you know, they hit that I'm good. And then they don't ever mm-hmm. you know, try to climb any higher, which I, I mean, I was at that point a lot when I, when I drank, it was like, well, my dad was a drunk, I'm a drunk, whatever. This is how it is. But to be able to like, get over that and see what else is out there is kind of, it's pretty incredible to when you start to see what you're capable of. When you step out of that comfort zone. That's a bit. Yeah. The comfort zone is the worst. I feel like it's the worst place you can be because they say, you know, it's like the lock. It's like you're in a cell, but the, the locks on the inside. Yes. And you're just like, Nope. You like isolate yourself from everybody. So I agree. It's like a prison. So when you're talking, your church obviously plays a huge part of your life and you found this church through your girlfriend, correct? Uh, yep. Okay. So everything probably does happen for a reason there when we look at that. Yes. But you, do you think that, was that something that you were looking for that you think you would have sat out on your own? Or do you think like she purposely needed, like she brought that into your life? Well, I always, I mean, I only went to church really on holidays and stuff. So I was always like in the worst mood. My mom would be like, it's Christmas church. I'm like, oh, okay. You know, just always, <laughs> no thanks. But it's funny speaking of that relationship. So I, I believe that part of it was like meeting her and she kind of introduced me to, you know, they, when you break it down like that, you look at the bigger picture of how, you know, things happen for a reason. And there's another part of that story with her that fits that narrative of her dad, actually. Um, he had been out of work and had been struggling himself. And my mom actually works in the same field as he does. So we ended up getting him an interview with her boss and getting him a job and like him back on his feet. So it's like, I went into her life and her dad now still works for 
my mom's company and it's been, you know, like five years. So it's like, and then she got me to church. So it's like, maybe we went into each other's lives to, to help each other out, you know? Absolutely. So, does your mom go to your church with you then? She does once in a while. She, well, with COVID it's been tough. So it's always been, it's just been online now, mm-hmm. but, um, she does once in a while, but she tends to watch online and it's, it's very cool because having it online, like I can just connect and watch it on my TV now on Sundays. So it's cool to, to get into it that way. But I do believe that nothing better than, um, being there and it kind of, you know, it feels different when you're, when you're in the presence of all the people, but they are reopening, I believe in August at some point. Good. So were you drinking on holidays too? Like, would you go to holiday church and then let's celebrate? Yeah. Um, no, I mean, I would be respectful to my mom, like give it a day. And she's like, you can go home tomorrow and do whatever, you know? So I was very, I was very respectful. I don't even, couldn't even count on one hand how many times I drank in front of her. So it was always like a respect. There was always that respect there. You know, if we were at a wedding or a you know grad party, whatever, I'd have we'd have drinks or whatever. But it was never like I wasn't like drinking a fifth of vodka when I was over there trying to. You know, it was never never like that. Okay, so to be respectful of your time, I think that there's a lot of other things that we can talk about because I think this is a good icebreaker for people because I have talked to a lot of people who have family members or friends who are in the place where they need to stop drinking or they need to stop doing some detrimental behavior. So I think that it's really good for us to see like a normal guy can do this on his own without having a lot of help. However, there are people who want to help and who are there to help. And is that kind of one of your goals? Is that what you want to want to do? Oh yeah. I'm actually in school. So I'm, pursuing a addiction counseling degree actually so i um just started up again this summer so i'm taking a couple of classes this summer and then be taking more in the fall but ultimately get that start with an associate's degree in addiction counseling and then you can um shadow counselors for the next two years while you get the bachelor's degree and then mm-hmm. you know take on your own so that's the path I'm on. Yeah, that's ultimately what I I feel nudged every day to that I'm supposed to be doing is is helping people. So that's like all that my focus is right now is to get that degree and to to keep helping people along the way. That's awesome. So once you have your degree, where is there a certain place you want to work, or do you open your own, or how would people find you, and who would you work with? Um, there's, and I know there's a Hazelden in St. Paul and, um, that's always been someplace that I've really respected and always known about. Um, but I don't know. I, I never thought about it in a way of like doing my own thing, but I just want to connect with people. I mean, I, I'm not picky as far as where, I mean, just let me give me the opportunity to share my I feel like when you're a counselor with experience you can connect a lot better with people that are going through it opposed to someone that just has a degree in it 
Agreed. So I think with my experience alone, and then the knowledge I'll get in school that can really, really make a change, make a difference. That's the ultimate. Um, you know, everyone, that cliche, like wanting to change the world, you know, and it's, it's so funny because I remember being someone who thought that like I had no chance and that it was, there's no way I could do that or I could, you know, change the narrative. Like, cause I had an alcoholic father and it runs in the family and I'm an alcoholic now. So that's it. You know, that's, that's all folks. And to be able to change the narrative is, it is changing the world because people think that they're stuck. And once they're able to climb out of that, like their world is changing. So I am, as I said, I'm very thankful for the opportunity to be sober and to have things happen as they have for me. Cause I know it's, it's not easy at all to, to uproot your life and change it, you know, a complete 180 to everything you knew to have the confidence to be yourself without substances. That's another weird thing is being your true self without, you know, like having to take a substance to, to feel like yourself, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. it does and I love this because you are practice you're practicing what you're preaching and you're helping people live better do better and be better overall so I think that you have a lot of wonderful qualities to share with the world really so I think we'll chat again because like I said I have a lot of other things that I wanted to discuss with you but um, in respect with your time I think that We're just going to have to do a part two. Okay. I'm happy to, for sure. (laughs) Wonderful. So thank you, Brian, for joining me today. And we will chat again. All right. Sounds great. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Fast Lane with Sarah Jane podcast. If you like what you hear, share the podcast and hit the subscribe button so you get updates on all new episodes. And we truly love feedback, so ratings and reviews are appreciated.